You might be wondering if you're tall enough or if you're a kid, kind of what's going on right here this morning. It doesn't look like our normal uh, table. Uh, that's because today we have the opportunity, as we follow Jesus to the cross, this opportunity to have a window, a look into a window of Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper. This opportunity for him to commune and fellowship with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I can admit, and I think all of us can admit, that all of us have a lot to learn and grow in when it comes to the Lord's table. The depths and the richness of the table is one that none of us will actually come to know fully like Christ understood it. But I think today what we have the opportunity to do is to learn and grow together. There was this one instance back when we were at the community center, and it was probably like five years ago, five, six years ago, and there was a woman who was seated right in the front where my family is, and I was preaching, and she was locked in, like completely locked in, listening to every word, and then it came time for me to institute the Lord's table. And as I did, she had the face of someone who had just seen a ghost. She was so distraught, tears were flowing, and she just ran out of the community center into the hallway. I was just going, what in the world is happening? And so after the service, I ran out looking for her, and she was still there. She had sort of recollected, she had collected herself, and I asked her, you know, is everything okay? What happened? And she went on to share how as soon as I said, this is my body broken for you, this is Christ's blood shed for you, she had all of these images of when she had and her family had been practicing witchcraft and had been part of this cult and it brought back all of these images of her past life. Seminary does not train you for that at all. I had no idea of how to respond to that. I mean, never had I thought that it could be so traumatic for someone who had been in that kind of life. And for us today, we're all from all different places of life, different church experiences, different experiences with the sacrament. But what I want us to take away today is that when you really think about the Lord's table, this binds all Christians through time and space for thousands of years and connects what is the most mundane, material, physical element to the divine. And we've been doing this every single week for thousands of years since Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It is absolutely precious to us, and it has continued to shape the church and its worship ever since. Now, how I want us to look at the Lord's table this morning is see it in three ways. And children, you are here with us, and that is why I've done this for you. So children, listen up. Three things. The story, it's a story of uh, rescue, 
It's a story of redemption. And lastly, it's a story of reunion. So how is, it a sto- this, how is this meal a story of rescue? Well, look at the context of what Jenny Lynn read for us in verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat what? The Passover. When you go back to chapter 20, or back to the beginning of verse 20, uh, chapter 26 in verse 2, we get this context of Jesus going to the cross all under the context of the Passover. Now, what was the Passover? It was this Passover meal called a Seder. Can you say Seder? Good. It was a Seder. And this Seder meal was this story of God's rescue for the people of God, the Jewish people. And we see this back in Exodus 12. But the Jewish people were slaves. Slaves for 400 years. America has only been around for under 250 years. So you can imagine the people of God, the Israelites, were slaves under the Egyptian rule and their bondage for 400 years. And God tells Charlton Heston, I mean not Charlton Heston, Moses, you guys are paying attention, good. He tells Moses, go and set my people free. Let my people go, right? And so Moses goes, and the Pharaoh of Egypt says, nope, no way, I'm not letting your people go. They're my people, we're working them to death, they're building our cities, they're building our buildings, no way. Well then, God sets in order these nine plagues. Locusts, blood turning the water, fleas, flies, I mean everything horrible. Each time Pharaoh's like, okay, okay, go. But then he changes his heart. And he says, no, no, they have to stay. But the tenth plague was what? It was that every firstborn child in Egypt would die. And the only way you could be saved is if you were to slaughter a lamb and take that blood and put it over the doorpost of your house. And when the angel of death comes, if he sees the blood over the house, he would pass over. You heard that word? He would pass over that house and not kill the firstborn child and go on to the next house. And if that blood was not on that doorpost, that firstborn child would die. And because of that plague, because of all of the Egyptians' homes with their firstborn child dying, Pharaoh wanted none of it. And he said, go. You can let your people go. And they fled out of Egypt, saw the Red Sea part, and they went on to the promised land. It's a story of rescue. And every, sa- every year, God told Moses and his people, you have to remember this and have a Passover meal every single year, which is called the Seder, which you guys just said. And this Seder would remind you of the rescue of God's people. For instance, do any of you guys know what this is? The guy that I bought it at Schnucks had no clue. <laughs> Anyone? Horseradish. Horseradish. Why? Because horseradish remind the people of the bitterness 
of their lives, of being slaves in Egypt. So when you would eat this bitter herb, you would be, rem you'd be reminded of the bitterness of God's people in Egypt. See this lettuce? You would use parsley sometimes. But what they would do in this meal is they would dip it in salt water, which is here. And they would dip it in salt water. Why? Because it would remind them of the tears that they shed being slaves in Egypt. And here, I've never had to prepare or cook for a sermon. There's always a first. This is called carouset. And it's made up of apples and uh, almond and red wine and cinnamon and sugar. And you mix it together. And what this would do is you would be reminded, let me make sure I say this right. You would dip, you, so you would dip the bitter herbs, you would dip the horseradish into this carouset to remind us of the clay and the mortar the Jewish slaves used to build and hold bricks together for Pharaoh's cities and his buildings. So you see how these elements would remind them of that. You have matzah bread. And they would, they would break this. Why? Because it would remind them that they had to leave in haste and the bread could not be leavened because they were rushing out to leave the land of Egypt. You would also be reminded of these four cups of wine. The first cup would be from Exodus 6. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. And they would drink it as kind of the beginning meal, or not the beginning meal, but during the hors d'oeuvres, as you come into the house, you would drink that first cup, being reminded that God will bring us out from under the burden of Egypt. Then right before the meal, you would have the second cup. And you will be reminded that God would say, I will deliver you from slavery. The third cup would be that I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great act of judgment. And the last cup would be, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And then there was a last one, which is empty because I didn't have a lamb or a shank bone. But there would be that last piece which remind them of what happened, right? That they would sacrifice a, spot, a spotless lamb and take that blood and pour, post it over their door so that God would show mercy and pass over their house and their firstborn would be saved. So they would not only be reminded of that, but they would eat it because God instructed them not to just sacrifice and use that blood, but they would use it and eat it as a meal for their families. You see, in all of this, this was a story of their rescue out of slavery, that God delivered them out. Now, how does that impact us, you and me, this morning? It is a story of rescue for you and I as well. Not only that we are connected to the people of God during their slavery of 400 years, but that we were subjugated to our own bondage of our own sin and of our own slavery. And what does God do? He saved us. So every time we come to the table, we are reminded that a God has rescued us from our sin and our bondage to our sin. Being enslaved to the things that we love, that we know we should not. 
that God has set us free. And when we come to the table and we eat and drink, we are reminded of that rescue, that God has rescued us as well. It was not just only a story of rescue because Jesus, when he's with his disciples, right before he's about to be taken over by the Roman guards, he does something very different than what would happen normally at that Seder meal. You see, he took that bread, that matzah, and what you would say is, this is the bread of affliction. Instead, what does Jesus do? He says, this is my body, broken for you. He takes that bread that would be reminding them for hundreds of years of leaving in haste. But Jesus changes that symbolism and reminder to say, this is my body, and it's broken for you. Then he takes that cup, and that it was what? It was the third cup because it was right after the meal. Matthew doesn't allude to it, but uh, Luke and Mark does. And what they say is that after the meal, he took a cup. And normally, what was that cup representing? That cup represented, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. But that third cup then becomes, this is my blood of the covenant. Poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Now, why is that so significant? Because what Jesus is saying is that this new covenant in my blood, his body that is broken, has to be a new covenant. And a covenant is a promise made with an oath. It's just a promise. And what God is saying, what Jesus is saying in that moment is saying that we need a new covenant because that covenant that I made to my people at Mount Sinai has completely failed. Why? Not because of the covenant itself, but because of the people's failure. They had continued to be unfaithful. They've continued to worship other gods. They've continued to go and reject Yahweh. And so what Jesus does at the table in this story of redemption is he says, I will redeem you with outstretched arms, but it's going to have to come at my cost. I'm going to have to become the Passover lamb who's going to be shed, and that blood will forgive you of every sin, past, present, future. And because just like that lamb's blood that was posted over the door and that saved every child, it is Christ's blood, the Passover lamb himself, that becomes our salvation. That's why when John the Baptist when he sees Jesus begin his ministry and come towards him, what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in 1 Peter 1, 18, Peter writes, you were ransomed from the feudal ways, not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus says that I have become that Passover lamb, I, my body is broken, 
My blood is shed so that you might receive the salvation that God had always intended. What does that mean for you and I? Well, you look at this passage that we just read together, and Jesus predicts that someone will betray him. And all of them go, it is, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? They're all like just worried and disturbed and they're sorrowful. And what does Jesus say? He says, it is the one who has dipped their hands in that same plate. Now think about it. What I just showed you is something that the whole family comes around. It is all communal. So when they dip their hands into a plate, all of them have done it. And what Jesus is saying is that all of you are going to betray me. All of you are going to be unfaithful. All of you are going to completely turn your backs against me. Though you have walked with me for three years, though you have heard my teaching, though you have seen all the miracles, though you know, whether small ways or big ways, that I am the Lord God, you are all still going to betray me. And that's good news for us. Not because we are unfaithful, but because of Christ who says, even though you are unfaithful, I will provide a way. Not because of your faithfulness, not because of what you will do, not because of your performance, not because of your good morality, not because of being a good student, not because of having a good job, not because of being just a good person, but ultimately only because of Christ who lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserve, that we can have salvation. It doesn't, it's not dependent upon you or me because ultimately we betray Christ. Every day we betray him. When I, when I have to punish my children and discipline them, you know what I always play in my mind? This is what I always do. So I didn't ask them for permission, so I won't give a specific example. But say they do something, and then I'm angry. I am so upset. And I'll go to them in their room before I do, and I'll just go, man, they've done this to me. But I betray my heavenly father every day. I do the same exact thing, except I just hide it better. I mask it. And when I think like that, it helps me understand as a parent, yes, there's still discipline, there's still consequences, but there's also lavish grace and love poured upon my kids. Now, I don't do it perfectly, trust me. <laughs> there's many times I lash out in my anger. But I always play that in my head. I betray my father every single day. And though we do, Christ at the table, Judas who's going to betray him, and we're going to look at him two weeks from now, these disciples who all are going to run away and scatter, he still provides this amazing, intimate meal for them, even though he's, they're all going to reject him and spit, a, spit in his face. He provides this, and he's provided it many weeks in advance because he gives them all of this instruction, right, that we read. He tells the disciples, go to this person's house. They'll know exactly what to do because Jesus has already prepared it. Because though we betray him, it's a story of redemption for you and for me because Christ is our Passover lamb and has sacrificed and shed his blood for you, though we betray him. He loves us. He redeems us. He forgives us. There is no shame, there's no guilt for those who have placed their faith in Christ. It's not only a story of rescue and redemption, but it's also a story, lastly, of reunion. 
It's a story of reunion. Look at verse 29. Now, he's already talked about the third cup, right? There's four cups that each person would have. And the third cup, he says, this is my, this is my blood. But there's that fourth cup that they haven't drunk, and that is done at the end of the Seder. And what does Jesus allude to? He says in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There is this hope of reunion for you and for me. One commentator said this. He said, Jesus' self-denial is the measure of his own eager anticipation of that day. However, our eating and drinking is the measure of our eager anticipation of that day. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus has to practice self-denial for the hope of that reunion with us at the table. But for us, it's when we eat and drink together, we are replenished, we are filled with hope for that one day when there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more death, there will be no more fights, there will be no more divorce, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more conflicts amongst friends, there will be no more discontent, whether you're single or wanting to be married. There'll be no more issues with shame and body image. We will be with Christ in glory at the table, drinking and eating together around the table. It's a story of reunion. It's a story of hope. There was this one time I went to a, there was this restaurant that was opening up, and there was a pop-up. And if you don't know what pop-ups are, they're just the chef will borrow a space of a restaurant or some building and will do a trial run to be able to test out his stuff, work out any kinks, but also get feedback from them, from the customers, before the big launch. And I was able to go to this one pop-up, and the food was exquisite. It was amazing. But it was just a foretaste of what was going to be a reality when this chef was going to open up his restaurant. You see, this is like a pop-up. We are able every single week, no matter the pain and the suffering and the trials and the despair and the hopelessness that you might face right now, whether you're experiencing death in your family, cancer, Longing to be married, longing for your kids to know Christ, dealing with cancer, whatever it is right now, when we come to the table, we get to rejoice knowing that, Lord, there is that one day when I eat and drink right now that I get just a little glimpse and foretaste of what is to come when there will be no more tear, no more death, no more suffering. It is a story of reunion. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of rescue. And in all of these ways, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate. It's a party every single week. 
Do you believe that? I know some churches you might have grown up, and I did, it was like, you got to cry before you eat. You got to, like, repent. You got to really feel bad about yourself to really take of, the communi- of, of these elements. No way. No way. Not here. We've done that. We've confessed our sin. We've heard God's forgiveness. And what we get to do is we get to feast. There's candles. Usually there's flowers. It's a joyous time for God's people to celebrate of what he's done for you and for me. And in that, we get to come to the table this morning. In that, we get to celebrate. In that, we get to feast on Christ. So brothers and sisters, young and old, what do you want to do? Let's eat it. That's right. I love my daughter. She said, let's eat it. Let's eat it. Let's eat. Remember what Christ has done rescuing us from our sin and our, our bondage to sin. Let's remember how he's redeemed us by becoming the Passover lamb. And let's hope that one day we won't experience the brokenness that we currently do. Because right now we get to celebrate and party and enjoy. Take two cups if you want. And let's rejoice together. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. What he's done for...